Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Our family, if the slides work. Oh, good. Okay, they are working. So uh, that's the youngest. If you'll go to the next slide, I jumped ahead a little bit. We are working in the Republic of the Gambia. Used to be, until uh, just a few years ago, the Islamic Republic of the Gambia. It is the second smallest country on the mainland of Africa. When I first started preparing to go to the Gambia several years ago, it was the smallest, but now we are the second smallest. And uh, I am working as an associate pastor at Almasy Worship Center, and I work in the country's only Pentecostal Bible school, Almasia Training Center. We are planting churches that plant churches. That's our goal. If you'll go to slide number three, I'm going to tell a story before I get into my text. And how, how many of you, this is a generation-defining moment for my age group, the millennials. Uh, if you can remember 9-11, you're a millennial. If you can't, you're the next age group. You're Gen Z. I can remember 9-11 slightly differently than most uh, people in my age bracket. A few days before 9-11, there was a jihad called in our city in Nigeria. And they went through and uh, they began to attack different churches and Christian-owned businesses and they were trying to uh, hunt for pastors. And so then there were these uh, politicians that they came and they began to stir up these uh, Christian kids who didn't, maybe they dropped out of college or they didn't have jobs. And you know, so they began to stir them up. And I know politicians don't do that in America, but they, they stirred them up and they got them angry. And they said, if you're Christians, you're going to fight back against these, this Muslim mob. And so all of a sudden there were two mobs that met together in our city, and they just so happened to meet on our street. And right next to our house was this clinic, and they had set this clinic on fire, and I can remember we were hiding, and we were trying to figure out what to do. And this giant Nigerian soldier, he came up to the gate, and he told my dad, he said, no shaky, which in pidgin means don't worry, because if you're worried, you shake. So he said, don't shake. We're putting a tank at each end of the street, and when, when... the mobs come, if they, if they want to come, they're going to have to come through these tanks, so we're going to take care of you. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a tank, but it's not a comforting sight walking down the street. We were, so we were still a little nervous and a little anxious, and sure enough, he gets on top of this tank, and he yells at the mobs, if you want to try it, go ahead and try it. You have your, your spears and your machetes. I have a tank. And the mobs looked at each other, and they looked back at the tank, and they looked at each other, and they charged towards the tank. Well, out of nowhere, there was a flash of lightning, peal of thunder, and immediately it began to rain so hard that the fires were put out. It began to rain so hard that people couldn't see to fight anymore, so they just went home. Now, for those of you who did not grow up in West Africa, September is the middle of the dry season. It maybe rains in September once every 30 years, and even then it's just a light little sprinkle. And this was a flood that miraculously ended the fighting. And just like God went before us in Nigeria with signs and wonders so that the gospel could be preached among the unreached in Nigeria, we believe that God is continuing to do that amongst the unreached in the Gambia. If you'll go to the next slide, this is a very common missions verse. It happens all the time, but most people stop at the end of verse 8. And I also want to read the beginning of verse 9 because I believe that's really what this is all leading up to. 
You see, I want to talk about encountering holiness. And I'll explain that just a little bit after this. But Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each with six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I sin and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, sin me. And that's where everyone stops. But the very beginning of the next verse says, And he, God, said, Go. You may be seated. Before we go on, I'm going to tell a story. In, in Africa... We tell stories. And uh, as a youth pastor, that was one thing I learned is uh, teenagers don't have very good attention spans. And so I could tell stories for a lot longer, and they'd follow me through my story for a long time. And so I would tell my stories so that I could help to preach. So I'm going to do a little bit of that here. Um, and hopefully we'll have a little bit better uh, attention span. My, this morning, my daughter on our way here, uh, I said... We're going to go to a church tonight, and we're going to a different church. And she said, oh, okay. And we were talking, and I said, yeah, Daddy's preaching tonight. And she said, oh, no, not again. So hopefully it won't be that bad. Um, but she was uh, not super thrilled to hear the sermon again. But I want you to imagine back with me. We're going way back many years ago. We're actually going so far back that uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, for those of you who are history nerds like I am, they are just now being written. This is... This is uh, the year 600 BC. The reason that they are just now being written is because Greek has just been invented as an alphabet. The time of Isaiah is a really long time ago. <laughs> and there's these two prophets. They're on the run. They're hiding. And these prophets are hiding. And the, the younger prophet, we're going to call him Micah, he looks up to Isaiah and he says, why are we doing this? The crazy king is trying to kill us. Why are we, why are we doing this? And Isaiah can say, because I can remember all the way back, Isaiah had been in ministry for 60 years. He said, I can remember 60 years ago when I had an encounter with God and it changed my life. So before we move forward, I'm going to define a term. I preach in a lot of different churches and a lot of different churches have a very different definition of this term. And the term is holiness. If you can go to the next slide. Um, and that term, I'm using strictly the Hebrew definition of that term. And so what that means in Hebrew is something that is cleaned and set apart for a purpose. Okay, how many of you have those towels in your house that are used just for decoration, and if you actually use them as a regular towel, your wife or your mother will kill you? Okay, those are holy towels, cleaned and they're separated for a purpose. A better example is several years ago, 
right before we got married, I severed every tendon in my pinky and I had to have an emergency surgery to be able to get the use of my pinky back. And the doctor didn't come in, grab that scalpel, use it like a toothpick, and then cut me open. No, the surgeon's instruments are cleaned and they're separated for a purpose. That's what it means to be holy. In fact, the word is more than just separation. The word actually means in Hebrew, like none other. There is only one of these. So when God is calling us to be holy, we are to be like none other. So as we go through the story, you know, the, I, I like to imagine myself as the younger prophet. I can't do that anymore because I've been informed by a lot of the people that I went to Bible school with, like, like Erica, that we're not young anymore. So, uh, but I used to like to think of myself as the young prophet. But I always like to think of Isaiah as one of those older prophets in the faith and one of those older pastors and preachers. Uh, I think of E.W. Hancock, who uh, invested in my life, and I have many others. Uh, and I think of that, so I like to think of him as this old-school Pentecostal preacher. So he's, he gets up and he begins to pace as he begins to talk to me, and he says, he says, during the year that the king died, I saw God for all he was. I saw him completely in his glory. And, and there were these beings, they were made of fire, and they had these wings, and they were shouting at the top of their lungs, and they were shaking the foundations of heaven itself. And when I saw this and I realized how they were calling out how holy God is, and I looked around and I realized that I am going to die. Because I'm just a sinful man. Everybody around me, they only speak sin. I don't even know how to say the truth with my mouth because I don't have an example of what to do. So I'm going to talk about these reactions to the holiness of God. The first is actually King Uzziah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. If you read and find out why Uzziah died, Uzziah had decided that he was holy enough and set apart enough to go and do the work of a priest. And see, Uzziah loved God. Uzziah wasn't trying to do something wrong. He was trying to serve God, but he was not set apart to enter into God's presence. And so because he entered into God's presence without being holy and without being cleaned and separated for that purpose, he was struck with leprosy and eventually King Uzziah died. According to church tradition, Isaiah is in some way related to the royal family of Israel. He intimately knew this story. He understood what happened to King Uzziah. That is the context of what's going on here. The next reaction I want to talk about are these seraphim. That word literally means either the fiery ones or the burning ones. It means the, these beings of fire. It's used in a lot of different ways. Uh, it's the same word that's used for the snakes that come and judge the people of Israel in the wilderness. According to Hebrew tradition, I want to be clear, this is not in the Bible, but this is what they believed. That these beings of fire would, would be up there with God and they would bring judgment down to earth by grabbing coals off the altar of God and throwing it down to earth. And that would leave snakes of fire in the sky. And that's what they thought lightning was. This is the ideas that Isaiah has in his mind when he sees these beings of fire. They are specifically with, designed to withstand the holiness of God. And yet all they can do is worship at the top of their lungs until the foundations of heaven are shaken. Now, something we might need to think about. The last that I want to talk about 
is Isaiah. He's kind of important. He's the main character of the story. I should probably get to him at some point. Isaiah says something that uh, we do not tend to say very often anymore when we're not quoting the King James. He says, woe is me. Now, I was a youth pastor in Arkansas for several years, and so if Isaiah had been from Arkansas, he would have said something along the lines of, I done messed up. He says, I am doomed. Every example that I've ever seen is just people who sin. He specifically is worried about his mouth because he realizes that's the thing that gets him the most in trouble. Adelaide, you might want to listen to that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Isaiah is so worried about all these different things going on because he's seen what happened to his relative Uzziah who came and was not clean. And here he sees what's about to happen. Next, I want to talk about the reaction of the Holy One. See, at this point, I feel like Isaiah is probably getting a little bit more excited as he's talking. And he says, look, at this point, one of these beings of fire came. And they came and they touched my lips with fire from off the coals of the altar. And they said, your faults have been banished and your punishment removed. You see, Isaiah was so very worried about his sin. But God said, I can change that sin. And also, I'm starting with the very thing you're most worried about. He says that very insecurity that you're worried about, that's where I'm starting. And not only am I cleaning your lips so that you won't sin anymore, I am now asking you to speak for me, and your lips will be used as my tools instead of tools for sin. This is what happens when people encounter the holiness of God. You'll go to the next slide. Um, I've got several stories. They all involve witch doctors. I don't really know why I thought about making this the witch doctor point in my story. But there's this pastor. His name is Reverend Ezekiel, and he's the one who's up in the top left corner. And he's, he's preaching, and he's, he's heading out to this small village. And as he's driving the Bible school's truck out to this village to have this crusade, and he, he's getting ready, and all of a sudden there's an old man walking down the street. So he rolls down the window to the truck, and he says, if you're heading to the village, you can hop in the truck, and I'll drive you the rest of the way. And the man turns around, and he looks at Pastor Ezekiel, and he gets really angry. When he sees the logo of the Assemblies of God on the, the car, when he realizes it's a church, he gets really angry. And he begins to say, I am the witch doctor of this village. And I, not only am I not getting in the car with you, I'm going to go and I'm going to put a curse on you during your speaking tonight. And I'm going to kill you to prove that my spirits are more powerful than the God you're trying to bring. Pastor Ezekiel just kind of says, oh, I'm sorry, rolls up the window. Kinda, it's a rude way to say no. All he had to do is just say no. You know, so he, he begins to drive, and as he's beginning to preach, sure enough, there's the witch doctor in the back, and he's beginning to do his, his charms, and he's trying to cast a spell on Reverend Ezekiel. But Reverend Ezekiel preaches about the blood of Jesus. And suddenly there was a spell cast on that witch doctor. And when Reverend Ezekiel gave his altar call, one of the first people down was that witch doctor. And he began to pray. And he began to cry. And when he stood up after praying, he told Pastor Ezekiel, he said, I don't, I don't understand everything that happened. But all I know is that the spirit that you have brought is way more powerful than the spirit that I have. And I'm telling all of my patients that they don't come to me anymore. They come to the church because that's where the real power is. 
within a few months, that witch doctor was helping them plant another church two and a half miles away because it was too far for people to walk one way to hear about Jesus. This is what happens when we encounter the holiness of God. It should change our communities. There's another witch doctor. He's in the market. And uh, the way that market days work, you know, I don't, I don't know Ohio geography, but, you know, uh, in Arkansas, you kind of judge places by how far you are from Walmart. You know, it's like if, if this city has a Walmart, then it's a big city. If, if it doesn't, then it's not. And you just you go to the nearest Walmart. Okay, so uh, we don't have that in Africa. We have market day. And it's starting to change a little bit more as, as more uh, European influences has come. But when I was growing up, we only had market day. And so everybody would gather around uh, and you'd kind of have like a farmer's market one day a week. But it would also be like your carpenters would show up and your carpenters would take bids on projects there. Your, your businessmen would meet at market day. That's where they would have their business meetings. You'd, you'd have uh, all these other different politicians would come there and that's where they give their speeches. And this particular market day, there was a witch doctor and he was gathering a crowd. And he said, everybody knows our village's madman. Our village's crazy person. He was homeless. He, you know, he stands on the side of the road and scares all the children. Maybe he'd been on drugs and his mind is gone now. But he's, he's insane. And in America, we would hopefully try to get him help and put in an asylum. In Africa, they just leave him on the streets. He says, everybody knows our village madman. I am going to prove that my spirits are more powerful than the God of the Christians and more powerful than the Allah of the Muslims. And I am going to drive the madness from this madman. So as you can see here, I have him tied down to the ground. And in this cauldron, I have boiling oil that I've put my charms and my incantations in. And as I pour the oil over his body, it will drive the madness from him. And sure enough, he began to pour this boiling oil over the naked body of a madman. And he began to scream as blisters and whelps began to form on his body. And he wasn't just screaming in his madness anymore. He was screaming in pain. And there was a pastor who was sitting there in the crowd, and he'd seen enough. He pushed his way through the crowd, and he pushes the witch doctor off, and he knelt down next to the madman. And he began to say the only thing he could think to say. Jesus. 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 And as he began to say that, the madman began to repeat the name, Jesus. 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 And slowly those blisters and those welts began to shrink on his body. His skin became like new, and he turned to the pastor, and in a normal voice, he said, can you help get me up and get me some clothes? Because he was wanting to be clothed and in his right mind. See, that is what happens when we encounter the holiness of God. The last uh, witch doctor story that I want to talk about is this man right here. This man is Pastor Dominique. Pastor Dominique has spent the past 30 years going up and down streets and dirt, dirt roads and going into lost villages to find anyone who will let him talk about Jesus. Dominique is a fantastic gatherer of people. And he uh, has some great stories. When he was younger, there was one time he was going from one of these villages to another village. And as he was going, all of a sudden... He began to hear the sound that he can make perfectly and I cannot make perfectly, but it was the sound of a hyena. It's a woo, woo, woo. And when he says it, it sounds just like the hyena, but I'm not that good. And he, he begins to realize that there are hyenas following him 
in the dark as he is coming home. So he climbs the tree, and the hyenas are under his tree, and he, he pulls out a cell phone, and he begins to try to call somebody. And as he begins to call, his cell phone dies. So he's alone in a tree in the dark, and there are hyenas. Now, to explain a little bit about African culture, hyenas are considered to be shapeshifters. They're actually witch doctors in the real life, and it's kind of like they're werewolves, according to West African folklore. Everybody believes that the hyenas are the shapeshifters, and they're actually way more intelligent than you think they are, and they're, and they're, they're out to steal your soul. This, this is, these are all the stories that Pastor Dominique has grown up with, and sure enough, these hyenas have captured him. And so he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, there's some people that show up, and they, the hyenas run away, and then the people are there. But all he can remember is that the hyenas are shapeshifters. <laughs> and so he begins to worry, and he begins, but he begins to remember that he's a Christian, and he doesn't believe that those spirits are more powerful than Jesus. And so he finally convinces himself to come down out of the tree, and sure enough, it was the people that he had called, they realized that the phone died, so they came to check on him, and he was saved. So several years after that hyena story, he goes and he's, he's planting a church at a farm that we had started. There were uh, some American farmers that had started a farm, and we were trying to have a church at that farm. And sure enough, when the Americans left, he was there preaching one day, and all of a sudden, everybody in the church began to scream, Pastor, you have to run. You have to run. This man, he's coming to kill you. And they began to run away from the church. Pastor Dominique is uh, 60 at this point, and so he's, you know, he's not really wanting to run. And he kind of looks around trying to figure out what's going on. And sure enough, this man comes in, and he's covered in all these juju charms. He's wearing red, and he had specific uh, things tied. So he was, he was heavily influenced by witchcraft, he could tell. And the man begins to say, you cannot have a church in this village. I am the Akalu of the village. I'm the chief of the village. So you're not allowed to preach here. And Pastor Dominique, this has been several years since he had the encounter with the hyenas, so his faith is stronger now. And he says, I am going to preach the word of God. He says, you don't understand. If you keep preaching, I'm going to put a curse on you and I'm going to kill you. Pastor Dominique stands up. He says, I am not afraid of your curses. He's, this has been several years since the hyenas. He's, you know, he knows this. And the man looks him dead in the eyes and he says, I am the chief of this village. If my curses don't work, I will just kill you the regular way. So you can keep bringing the free stuff that the white people are telling you to bring, but you're not going to have a church in this village. So we began to fast and we began to pray that week for when Pastor Dominique went back the next Sunday because he said, I am coming back. And we began to pray and fast. And sure enough, under the tree where the church met, Waiting for him was the Alkalu. And he walked up to him. And that chief knelt down in the dirt in front of Pastor Dominique. And he said, your Isa, your Jesus, will not let me sleep. What must I do to serve him? You see, that church no longer meets under a tree at an old style farm in Africa. They meet in the chief's own house. And the chief is the one who sets up the chairs and tears down the chairs afterwards because he's serving Isa and his community. This is what happens 
when you encounter the holiness of God. My last point that I'm going to talk about is the reaction to God's holy call. At this point, I can see Isaiah getting really excited. At this point, you know, if he was one of those old school Pentecostal preachers, this is where he'd kick. I'm not going to do that. I'd pull something. Um, But he's excited. He says, and then I understood what God was saying to me. He was saying, who will go for us? And I begged him, here am I, send me. See, that word in Hebrew isn't just I said, here am I, send me. He's begging there's, there's a need involved. So after everything that God had done for me, how could I not do something for him? See, we cannot listen to the voice of God for very long until he begins to tell us what's important to him. He will say, feed my sheep. You cannot talk to someone for very long until you find out what is important to them. You cannot talk to my wife for very long until she begins to say something about me or my daughters. Praise the Lord. Because we are important to her. You can't talk to my brother for very long until he begins to tell you how frustrated he is that the, the uh, Houston Texans are so horribly run because he likes to choose bad football teams, I guess. I don't know. You can't talk to God for very long until he tells you to reach the lost. That is the purpose for which we are cleaned and set apart for. I've got all these different stats that I could tell you. There's one I want to focus in on. In all denominations, and I believe this includes Jehovah's Witness and uh, um, Mormons. So in all denominations, for every one million Muslims, there is only one missionary. We have a big task ahead of us. If you'll go to the next slide. In the Gambia, these are some of the main people groups that we deal with in the Gambia. Right here, this is the Mandinka. The Mandinka have no churches. The Fula have very little churches. There's almost half a million Fula. The wolf, the man pouring the oil over his head as he's about to wrestle. The wolf do not have a Bible yet. The sonike, the old man on the left, also doesn't have a Bible. And lastly, these 30,000 Moors in the Gambia, if you look on the left, they refuse to even acknowledge that Christians exist. These are the people in the country that I love that are desperately in need of the gospel. There are many other smaller people groups, but those are the top five. You see, the Gambia is about 93% of the population of the state of Arkansas. Uh, so it's, uh, that, that's a good comparison point. They're basically the same size. So Gambia has approximately 120 churches in the entire country of almost three million people. 56 of them are Catholic. Almost all of them are heavily mixed with juju or witchcraft. Arkansas, for comparison, has over 6,000 churches, according to Google, and uh, that's a low estimate. Uh, As someone who drives through Arkansas for a living, that's a low estimate. Um, The Assemblies of God, which is my 
sending organization, just in Arkansas, has 422 churches. Just in Arkansas. And yet, the Gambia has 120. You are statistically more likely to meet a Muslim in Arkansas than you are to meet an evangelical in the Gambia. Let's focus it in on here. The Gambia is nine times the population of Lorain County. According to Google, which has never been wrong before, um, but according to Google, there are over 200 churches in Lorain County, Ohio. I have no clue if that's a low estimate or a high estimate, but yet a place nine times the size has less than that. The Mandinka, this people group in the bottom left, they are about four times the population of Lorain County, about the same population as Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, there are 2,400 churches just in Dallas alone. For the Mandinka, there's not one. We can build a church in the Gambia for about $7,500. And it takes a little bit more than that to train a pastor. But that's why we are in the Gambia, is to plant churches where there is not a church. Our goal for our sending organization for Africa, we have a goal of planting a church within walking distance of every African. It is not going to happen within my lifetime. And it's not going to happen with just us going. We need a team. And this is not in my notes, but we need people to come and go with us so that we can reach the Gambia. If you'll go to the next slide, I'm going to talk specifically about the Mandinka just a little bit more. Uh, for any of you who uh, read the book or watched the TV series in the 80s, I don't know, it was before my time, uh, the Roots, uh, Kunta Kinte from Roots is a Mandinka. And the very beginning of that book starts off with the phrase, my people have been Muslims for a thousand years. You see, the earliest writings we have about the Mandinka are from the year 1066. For any of you history nerds like me, 1066 is the year that the Normans invade England. So we couldn't even have this conversation because English is not a fully formed language yet. And yet, what they wrote about the Mandinka then is these are the people who are Muslims. That was their identity a thousand years ago. Several decades ago, in one of the villages in the Gambia, there was an imam, a Muslim priest. And as he lay dying, he was holding an infant son. And he tells them, name him after myself, Muhammad Lamin Sise. And let him grow up to be an imam just like me. Sure that this is what happens. And so young Lamine begins to travel all over the different places in Senegal and in the Gambia and in Mali. And he begins to learn from different people and different uh, clerics about the Quran. And he, he dedicates his life to learning about the Quran from a very early age. But he begins to have questions about a specific character in the Quran. His name is Isa al-Masih. 
In English, we call him Jesus, the Messiah. And there's very specific things that are taught about Isa. You know, they teach that he's the that he is loved by God. They teach that he was born of a virgin. They teach that he never sinned. They teach that he's the greatest uh, prophet before Muhammad. And they teach that he's coming back at the end of times to explain what God really wants people to know. And he, so he's like, there's something missing from this story about Isa. And he begins to ask more and more questions about Isa. And eventually, young Muhammad Lamin is kicked out from studying the Quran because they said he was too interested in Isa and not interested enough in Muhammad. So he goes home and he starts school and he, he, he's trying to figure things out and suddenly he meets some British missionaries who begin to explain to him that there's more to the story of Isa. He's not just loved by God. He was the son of God and he is God. It's not my notes, but the, the way Islam works is there are three specific things about Jesus that Islam denies. They deny that he is the son of God. They deny that he was killed on the cross, and therefore he was not raised from the dead. So, and they also deny that he is your Lord. If you ask Paul, what are the things that you must believe to be a Christian? He says, you must believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he was risen from the dead, and that he's your Lord. So Islam tells pretty much the entire story of Jesus except those three things. It is demonically designed to keep people away from Jesus by giving them just enough truth to keep them still lost. And so they begin to explain the truth to young Lamin. And he and his friends decide that they are going to follow Jesus. In fact, Lamin becomes such a radical Jesus follower that he changes his name to a Christian name and he calls himself Samuel so that everybody around him can understand when they hear the name Samuel with a Mandinka surname Sise that what there can be Mandinka Christians and so they ask him questions so he can use that as a way to reach more people for Jesus. Samuel and his friends begin to translate the Bible into the Mandinka language but one by one things become difficult. West African society is designed to make you fail without a family. Family is extremely important. In fact, this is how you eat every meal. As a family, everyone eats from the same bowl. And the patriarch is the one with the biggest spoon, and if you get too far into someone else's portion, they whack you with a spoon. It's kind of fun. I've got to be the patriarch a few times and I'm training some new missionaries and got to whack them with a spoon. It's great. When these men decided, when these young men, these boys really, decided to become Christians, they were kicked out of the bowl. They were kicked out of their families. They were kicked out of their communities and sent out in a, into a society that was designed to kill you without a community. So one by one, these boys returned to Islam, leaving Samuel alone. There's more to his story, but for the sake of time, I'll shorten it just a little bit. Eventually, he got married to somebody from, to a widow from a different tribe, and so widows are also outcasts, so the two outcasts came together. His stepson is now a pastor, and he spent the rest of his life 
training the people of the Gambia, training missionaries in the Gambia on the languages of the Gambia. He sat down next to me across the table in our library as he's trying uh, and failing to teach me Mandinka. Um, and he says, my people do not understand. They, they understand that Jesus is God. He says, the two bobs, the white people, have been here for years. They have heard it with their ears. But nobody has brought them a church. They've got the knowledge. But they can't leave the bowl. That's why a church is so vital for the Mandinka. Out of 1,110,000 Mandinka in the Gambia, I have only ever met three Mandinka Christians. Two of them are sisters. The other is Samuel. If you'll go to the next slide. Dr. John York was a missionary in Nigeria for years. He's an expert on missions. He wrote, literally wrote the book on missions, on the theology of missions. And he says, actually he said this at OBI. He said, if you do not reach the lost, you have no holiness. That is the point of holiness. The Wolof are a people in West Africa. They're extremely tall, and they love their proverbs. So the Wolof love to say, For those of you who don't speak Wolof, that means, slowly, slowly, the man chases the monkey through the grass. To explain that parable, some things are hard to do. And if you try to do them too fast and without a plan, they're not going to get done. Because either that monkey is going to outrun you, or if it's like that one with the big teeth, it's going to bite you. Okay? So if you want to chase a monkey, you got to do it slowly and with a plan. Planting churches in the Gambia is chasing a monkey. It's not something that you can do quickly. It's not something you can do easily. It's not even something that we can just throw money at the problem and it'll fix it. Although we will take your money. <laughs> Our effort is that we want to do as what, uh, there was a Gambian theologian who, he taught at Harvard and he's taught at, he taught at Yale and Oxford. And he says that the goal of the gospel is to create renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. We don't want people to look exactly like Americans and stuck in the Gambia. We don't want them to dress exactly like Americans. We don't want them to have the exact same music that we have here. That's not the goal. We aren't trying to make them traditional Midwest Republicans. We're trying to make them Africans whose identity is in Christ. It's a long, hard journey, but it is worth it because that is what we were called to do. It was literally the last thing that Jesus told us to do. In conclusion, as I'm heading to whoever's playing the piano, if you want to start coming up. I want to talk about another prophet for just a, just a little bit. His name is Jeremiah. And for any of you who have ever read the book of Jeremiah, this statement will not surprise you. Jeremiah was complaining. That's like the whole book. Um, that's all he does is complain. In fact, he's complaining so much that at one point, he actually tells God, if you'll just kill my whole congregation, we can start over and everything will be better. Now, pastor, I've been pastoring for a long time. I have never once prayed that God would kill a church member. I've thought it a few times, but I've never prayed it. 
And God tells Jeremiah to grow up. He says, these are little problems you're facing right now. And there's bigger problems coming. And I'm training you with the little problems. And after Jeremiah and God, they argue for a lot. He gets to this verse that we as Pentecostals love to quote. But we often quote it without that context. See, we love to quote that, you know, that the word of God is like fire shut up in my bones. That's not the context. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, if I say I will... You can go to that next slide. I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary holding it in. I cannot. He is saying, it physically hurt me to not speak when God told me to speak. Alex and I were youth pastors at the greatest youth group in Arkansas. By every metric, we were killing it. It was a town of 1,900 people. It had seven Pentecostal churches, but we had 60 kids in our youth group. Our youth group was the second largest Pentecostal church in the city. We were doing awesome. The school would actually send kids to my office during school hours for counseling. The public school. We'd had multiple kids get saved out of an LGBTQ RST lifestyle. We just had 18 kids filled with the Holy Spirit at youth camp. Things were going fantastic. And God starts telling us that it's time to go into missions. And we began to argue because everything was going great. <laughs> By all normal metrics, everything's perfect. And my pastor began to preach on Jeremiah 20, verse 9, for a month straight. And finally, we were, okay, God, we understand. <laughs> we hear what you're saying. And we decided to move to the other side of an ocean. Go to slide 11. The, the, the next slide. Yeah. This guy right here was my dad's best friend in Nigeria. They planted churches all over northern Nigeria. We had gone to a place that the Africans called the place where hell leaks. It got up to 120 degrees. It was hot. It was right where the Sahara Desert met a river. So it was humid and hot. It was horrible. They also called it the place where hell leaks because they would do human sacrifices at the entryway to the city once a year. The witch doctors from all over West Africa would meet and have their version of a camp meeting in that town. We planted a Bible school there. And once the Bible school was planted, the witch doctors came and they said, since that school's got there, our spirits won't talk to us anymore. And they ended up having to move their meetings. Because holiness changes communities. But see, the devil is not happy about changes in communities. Reverend Satu's 16-year-old daughter Glad the kids are out of here. The, she was at school, and two men came into the school. And they dragged her out of class into the courtyard, and in front of her whole school, they cut her with knives, they publicly raped her, and they told her, my name is so-and-so, and his name is so-and-so, and we're doing this because your dad is planting churches in our city. And if he doesn't stop, we'll keep doing it. 
we were not allowed to live inside the city. You were supposed to be from a specific tribe to live in that city, and um, we don't look like Africans. Um, so we didn't get to live inside the city, and so, but he was able to trick his way inside the city. So for their safety, their family moved into our house, and he kept planting churches in the place where hell leaks. Churches that are still there to this day amongst the most persecuted place on the planet is northern Nigeria. And those churches are still standing. Years later, uh, he came and he was helping dad at another Bible school. He was planting literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were led to the Lord by him. In open air meetings, in one-on-one -on -one settings, as a teacher in a Bible school, hundreds of thousands of people came to the kingdom because of him. He was the head of his neighborhood watch. And there was a jihad called. So his men went and they chased everybody away. And on their way back, he fell in a hole. And one of the men with him said, oh, Reverend fell. And the Muslims up on the hill heard that he was a pastor. So they forgot everybody else. And they came and they attacked Reverend Setu. They tortured him. They cut off his arms and his legs. And while he was still alive, they set his body on fire. The only way that they could identify his body is in one of the legs. His ID card was still there. And his 16-year-old son found him and found that leg. I am not asking that everybody in here go into northern Nigeria and die like Reverend Setu did. But I am asking that you get some fire inside your bones. That it becomes uncomfortable for you to not do what God is telling you to do. Because I don't think that God is telling every single one of us to all go to the exact same place and do the exact same thing. Speak to the exact same people. But I am telling you that yes, the Gambia is lost. But so is Lorraine, Ohio. So is Des Moines, Iowa. So is... Goshen, Indiana, where we just were. Like, there are places around here that desperately need the gospel. And it doesn't have to come from a pulpit. In fact, there are a lot of people who will never step foot in a church until after they're saved. It's going to involve you guys going out into your communities and making a difference. If you'll go to the next slide. Jude says, and others save with fear while pulling them out of the fire. And go to the last slide. We believe that the war for the souls of the Mandinka, the Wolof, the Fula, and the others on the banks of the Gambia River is not over. Yes, there are difficulties. The devil has ripped apart the church as it's tried to make a foundation. He's used slavery, disunity, corruption, abusive powers, demonic attacks. But a veteran missionary named Beth Grant got up and told our organization that God is not intimidated by the darkness of this world. She said, do not show me how Pentecostal you are in the church. Show me how Pentecostal you are in the darkness. We believe that every tribe in Africa deserves to hear the gospel. We believe that we are pursuing God together in the power of the Holy Spirit for a redeemed and increasingly redeemed and transformed Gambia. 
we will not stop until every one on the banks of the Gambia River can say and truly mean Isa Amasi Limu Marioti Jesus the Christ is Lord so I'm going to pray over your church and then I'm going to have your pastor come and let him handle the altar call how he wants but I'm going to pray that you would be uncomfortable until you do what God says so if everyone would stand God right now I am praying that you would begin to set fires in the bones of those who hear my voice. Right now, God, I am asking that you would begin to physically hurt those who will not speak in your name. God, right now, I am asking that you would draw people to you. Literally, you pull them by a rope towards you. And God, that you would use us as your instruments to spread your kingdom here in Lorain, Ohio, here in the Midwest, here in the United States, and then to the nations of the world. I pray right now, God, that you would make this right now a moment where people can point back to and say way back that they had an encounter with the holiness of God and it changed their life. And they said, here am I, send me. Pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a challenge. Why don't you step out and find a place to pray?